Welcome to The Good Life. I'm your host, Sean Murray. My guest today is Tiffany Schlain. She's a filmmaker and a writer from the Bay Area who's been deeply involved in technology and the technology industry over the past 20 years. But she's discovered that taking a break from technology one day per week has had a profound impact on the quality of her life, improved her relationships, increased her creativity, and even helped her become more productive. She has a new book out, 24-6, The Power of Unplugging One Day Per Week. She talks about why she's added this constraint to her life and how, ironically, this constraint has led to more freedom, not less. This episode is full of powerful lessons for all of us, and be careful, you may even start contemplating taking the plunge for yourself and putting away your phone and all technology for one day every week. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Tiffany as much as I did. My friends, I bring you Tiffany Schlain. You're listening to The Good Life on the Real Time Podcast Network, where we explore the ideas, principles, and habits that help you live a meaningful, flourishing life. Join your host, Sean Murray, on a journey for the life well lived. Tiffany Schlain, welcome to The Good Life. I'm happy to be here. Well, the topic of today's discussion is the practice of taking one day off each week and unplugging, putting our devices away, no iPhones, no laptops, no screens of any kind. And you call it a digital Shabbat based on the Sabbath. It's something you started about 10 years ago and it's become this ingrained part of your life. And it's profoundly affected your life and relationships, memories, work, all these things I want to get into in our conversation. You wrote a book recently released called 24-6. I really enjoyed the book. It's just so relevant and timely. It addresses a number of questions I've been grappling with, I think we all have for a long time, that get to the heart of what it means to live a flourishing human life. Let's start with how you came to observe this digital Shabbat and just your background and how you came to write the book. I was deeply immersed in technology. I still am. And, you know, founded the Webby Awards in my 20s and was always interested in experimenting with the newest technology. And my husband's a robotics professor. So we we both are into pushing on its edges. And I was just starting to really feel distracted all the time. And just mind you, this was 12 years ago, 12 or 11 years ago. And I really point to when the iPhone came out that it just made it, you could just bring the web with you everywhere before you leave your house and it wasn't with you. The whole world wasn't with you every second. And I was feeling more and more distracted. And, you know, because we got the iPhone pretty early, we're early adopters. I think we got early, very addicted. I didn't like the way I was feeling. I really just felt like I was never present. And I know it's talked a lot about now, but back then it really wasn't. It was just this shiny new toy that everyone was obsessed with. And I had this very, during that period where I was feeling so distracted at this very dramatic series of events where my father died of brain cancer and my daughter was born within days. And I really felt like it was a wake up call of how do I want to live? I, I don't like the way I'm living right now. I don't, I don't feel like I'm ever present. And so my husband and I, decided to turn off all screens one day a week, called it our tech Shabbat. And it felt so good. And um, we never stopped doing it. It's an amazing thing because the longer we did it, and we're almost at 11 years, it's just crazy. But it's simply been the best thing I've ever done. It's just 
it immediately felt terrific to turn off screens for a day back then. Like it was exactly what I needed. I felt immediately felt present and calm and focused and appreciative and all these things. And then week after week, we just kept doing it longer and the benefits kept revealing themselves. And then society started kind of becoming more and more addicted. Like everyone became addicted. So the longer we did it, you know, one day a week, we live in this very analog reality that we love and everyone around us is just staring at phones all the time. And it feels like, you know, it resets me. I mean, right now you're talking to me on the week of the election and I have been online so much and I cannot wait for tomorrow because tomorrow's Friday and tomorrow's my tech Shabbat. So even when I'm on and, I, and I'm enjoying social media, like I am on Twitter and it's making me laugh and connected and informed and all of those things. And I cannot wait to turn it off. I cannot wait to take a break because I feel like my brain is being like, pride in the constant stress of it all and it's addictive and it's alluring and and it's made me laugh and all of those things but to what end i mean the internet never ends the twitter feed never ends instagram feed never ends and every week i make it end and i am totally with my family and friends we always have people over for dinner and we tell them no screens and it's the best conversation of the week and i sleep the best we have the best kind of analog day the next day and feel like it's really reminded our kids or no taught them because they're not reminded us it taught our kids about a different time where you survived without a phone and you did things without a phone and it was wonderful I feel very connected with them on that day and kind of recalibrated on how I want to use the internet each week and I think the biggest thing is I get a sense of perspective and reflection that I really just don't get when I'm sucked into the network all the time like I am right now with the election news I can relate to this idea of being swamped by technology and distracted and looking at my phones. And you describe in your book, looking at your phone for, I don't know, maybe 15 minutes, 20 minutes, kind of getting into going down that rabbit hole or scrolling, and then kind of looking up those around you and seeing the rest of society, the rest of the people around you looking at their phones too, and just kind of thinking, where are we, you know, as a society? You said something in there, technology never ends. And the idea of a tech Shabbat comes from this idea of a Sabbath. And you talk about in the book that the Sabbath, this Jewish tradition that goes back 3,000 years, was designed as a, a day of rest, and it marked an end and a beginning. Could you talk a little bit about that? Because I think there's something really important there in our human tradition that we've sort of lost, and you're bringing it back. Yeah, and I think what's really exciting, and it, it's interesting, I called the book 24-6 and not Tech Shabbat, which for like a year it was called Tech Shabbat in my mind. But I wanted to really get to the core of the idea without the religion, even though I have great respect for people that do it for religious reasons. But I think what was so surprising to me about really discovering the power and wisdom of this ancient practice was how relevant it was for everybody. And even though right now, mostly just really observant people do it. So, you know, if you're Christian, you call it the Sabbath and Jews call it, you know, Shabbat and only really the Orthodox Jews. But if you can dial back in your mind thousands of years, there was no day of rest. It was everyone worked every day. And it was actually a very radical idea back then to stop working for a day and have a complete day of nothing, a complete day of rest. Now, if you're a religious person, you study Torah, you, but if you really get to the core of what it's about, it's about being present, putting your mind in a different mode, being with your family in a different mode. And that is deep, deep wisdom. 
And all the technologies have blurred every line. So there's never that rest. You're never off. You're always with so many other people online and you're always distracted and you're never present. And so what was most exciting was kind of bringing this idea back and did, it came out last fall. So before the pandemic, and it's been so exciting to me. So many people have read it, they're like, it's changed my life. And, and people from all different faiths or atheists or, you know, cause I think any great ideas like yoga and meditation, I think what's so exciting is when you find these ancient ideas that are so powerful today. And if you can just say, hey, this is available to all of us and it's totally changed my life. And I love technology. I'm not anti-tech. I just know that it, like you said, it, it closes down the week. It's like, it gives up my life a chapter every week. That week ended. And, and, you know, a lot of people during the pandemic have been like, oh my God, time is so blurry. I never know when it's the weekend. I never feel that way. I always know when it's the weekend. I always know when it's break time. And so do my kids. You know, my 17-year-old daughter at the, the heat of the pandemic said, our tech Shabbat said the only day I don't feel like I'm in quarantine. And I just thought that was so powerful because the word I most often use to describe it is I feel set free, free of the responsibilities of responding to everyone, free of the responsibilities of all the horrible news all the time and just the mixture of good and stressful emails, just all of it. I think I feel free. And I think that's what our daughter Odessa was speaking to because she can't do homework on Shabbat. We don't let her. And every week she knows she gets a break. And I talk about in the book, you know, that's a handful of times a year that for whatever reason, one of us can't do it. And we feel like unmoored, like the whole next week, you feel like you didn't get your deep vacation. And that's another way we describe it is it's like this very deep vacation every week that lasts for one day. And it is so replenishing. And here's the part for me, I mean, I'm a filmmaker and, you know, I write a lot of ideas down or thoughts down. And I always have my best ideas on Saturday, just hands down. There's no question. Have a good idea. It happened on a Saturday when there's no new input. And I think we should really think about that. And I go into a lot of neuroscience in the book and I've made a lot of films about neuroscience. And there's this idea that called the default mode network in your brain, that when you stop getting new input and you just let your mind wander with what's already in there, you're going to make a lot of new connections and that's where creativity comes from. So that's why you have your best ideas when you're doing the dishes or going for a walk or taking a shower. And right now we're just living in this state of extreme optimization for every second. And we don't give ourselves any time for our brain to do its magic. Wow. There's, there's so much in there. I want to kind of dig into this idea of feeling of freedom on your day of being unplugged. I want to come back to that. I want to first just go a little bit deeper in this idea of creativity, because you do talk about in the book, this sense that you give your mind the ability to wander and to make connections when you pull yourself away from the devices for a while. Can you talk about that? Any maybe any examples or just kind of how that's impacted your life? Well, if you think about it this way, when you're online, your mind is being directed by what, whoever you follow. So you are, your mind goes to what the tweet you saw, the Instagram, the Facebook post, the email, the news headline. It's like directing your thoughts. So when you turn that all off, your mind's going off on its own. And that the most beautiful form of technology is the human brain. I mean, it is a magnificent <laughs> technology that we don't even understand all the ways it works. But we do know that when we turn off the input, amazing things happen. Like Einstein used to say that, I mean, he came up with a theory of relativity as he was walking down the river, the side of the river and just daydreaming. He used to daydream a lot and do these thought experiments. 
And when you daydream, you're like a time traveler. Your mind thinks of the past, the present, the future. One thought bounces to the next, makes you think of the next, makes you think of this next bizarre connection. And maybe that's a great idea. And it, it's really like giving your mind a chance to play. That's the way I look at it. And that's why when people say, oh, I'm bored, I, uh, I always feel like that's the runway to creativity. Your mind is kind of in a state of it's you know, craving something to entertain it, but let your brain entertain it. And I think kids today and adults, we're so used to the second we have a pause, we flip to look at our phone or a screen and we just want to be distracted, numbed, entertained every second. I don't want to live in a society that has no room for reflection or daydreaming or creativity. And I love the name of your podcast. Like, how do you live a good life? I mean, yes, being connected to society online, but how do you create boundaries to live a good life? And I will tell you my best days with my family are in Tech Shabbat. All the memories I think I'll probably remember most are from that day because we're not letting the whole world and all their friends and all the news and everyone else in. And I think that if there's something we're teaching them is that technology has taken all these boundaries away, which is incredible, especially during the pandemic. But some boundaries are good. Like when I was growing up, I had family day on Sundays when the stores were all closed and then that doesn't happen anymore. So you actually have to have the courage in modern society to step up and say, you know, for one day out of seven, I'm going to say nothing's more important than in the walls of my house or in nature. And I am going to have the courage to say that's enough. You're not going to ever get FOMO on those days. It's an amazing thing because you, if you stand up and make that stand, like this is going to be the day we're not on screens and we're going to be with each other. It's the day filled with joy. We pick the things that we wish that we, we all love doing. And even if that's nothing, or if it's taking a walk or reading or napping or cooking, everything's done in a much more luxurious way that I never feel when that phone is right there to tempt everyone just to step out of where the room. Well, one of the things I really enjoyed about your book was the parts where you described growing up in the 70s. I grew up in the 70s. And you mentioned that our generation, you and I, is one of the last, if not the last generation to have half of our lives spent without being online. And so we have that experience. We have those memories. I have some similar memories of Sundays at my house growing up. And it does take some courage to bring that back because technology's really encroached on our time, on our attention. It takes a wall of a constraint. And this, this kind of gets to the idea I wanted to get back to you from your previous comment about constraints can lead to freedom. Can you talk about that? I think dying is a constraint. I think knowing we're going to die is a constraint. So you better live well while you're on this planet. Because if we didn't ever die, it wouldn't be as precious life wouldn't be as precious, right? So I think that moment when my dad died, and you know, he actually was diagnosed when I was four, originally of cancer, and went into remission for a long time. But we used to talk about death quite a lot in my family when I was young, and then it kind of went away, and then when he got sick again, but that's the ultimate constraint. So if you look at death as a constraint, and then you think, well, I'm gonna live well while I'm here. Well, if you have this constraint of like, I'm gonna have one day, that's just about being present. And I'm going to get really creative and I'm going to let nothing stand in my way. And I'm going to make it super fun. It's not a day without, it's what you get back. And that's a really key part of my tech Shabbats, that they are super fun. And I think you have to have the courage to do that too. Like if you want your family to come on board, like I know a lot of people have read my book. They're like, I could do this, but my husband won't or my wife won't. 
And I'm like, well, hand them the book, let them read the book. And then you two could together come up with a really fun day. Now I know a lot of people that are single that are doing it. And, you know, every great wisdom practice talks about the importance of having some inner silence to still the wind on the water so you can hear that inner voice. And people have a lot of different words for that inner voice. Some people call it God. You don't believe in God. You just call it like an inner wisdom. But we're not ever quiet anymore. And even as a family to value that. So I think if you're in a family and and you have a family meeting and say, we value a day of like very Friday night. If I set the stage for you, like I start making fresh challah on Friday morning. It's the only thing I really bake. It's really good at this point. I'm making dough Friday morning, which is a great way to start my texture bot because it has to rise all day. And there's something kind of radical about that too, which I think a lot of people discovered during the pandemic is making bread is very therapeutic and beautiful. So it rises all day and we have people over and often have our friend, our kids, friends, families over or our own family or friends. And it's at a distance now outside. And we remind them no screens, incredibly social night Friday. Saturday's not such a big boisterous social. It's really about being with each other or being by yourself. Cause you know, sometimes my husband and I will tag team. He'll be like, I want to go on a mountain bike ride. And I'll be like, I want to go to yoga or do. So we also have time by ourselves. It's not like we're together every second, but it's really a day, a lot about being together. That's when we do our family walk. And, and we did do it with two kids in soccer and that just took a little coordination, but all in all, it's a day of more quiet. And it, I love it. And some people say, oh my God, we have so many plans on the weekend with so many things to coordinate. I don't think we could ever do that. And I'm always just like, really? Do you really need to have every weekend that busy? Like, could you have a day of rest? Do you need a day of rest? And so many people just, they have not turned off their phone since they got it. They don't even know what it, it feels so good. And I think people have a lot of fear around turning off their phone. And I promise you, you're giving all the power to your phone. There's a lot of power inside of you. And the biggest thing I can tell you after almost 11 years of doing this is that when I'm online, like I was just on for the last four hours looking at election news, I couldn't get enough. I couldn't get enough stressful news headlines, tweets, social notifications, emails. I couldn't get enough. I was just so hungry. I just wanted more and more and more. And that is the state of existence on the internet. When I turn it off, I immediately, it's like a switch is flipped and I immediately don't want anything. I'm just grateful for what I have. And I think living a good life, back to your awesome title of your podcast, is appreciating what you have. And I'm, I'm sure you've discussed gratitude on this. And, you know, I do a gratitude journal. And, but I also on Saturday have a journal of just things that made me laugh. I think back to the week, what were like the couple of things that made me laugh? And I love rereading that book. It's hilarious to me <laughs> and my husband because we have the same sense of humor. But what do you want to remember? Do you want to be in a state of hunger all the time? Or do you want to be satisfied and satiated and like appreciative? You touched on uh, this idea of stillness or calm or having achieving equanimity. I've, I've heard it described as if you look at the great philosophical traditions that ask this question of what is a flourishing life? What are we trying to achieve? You look at, you know, Buddhism, other faith traditions, religious traditions. A lot of them are pointing towards this achievement of calmness and stillness and having one day that you know you've created the conditions to achieve that, I think is very powerful. In the book, in addition to the one day and why I think everyone should do it, <laughs> is I have a, a section in the back of like the other six days because I do all these kind of mini things that have really helped. So I'm not just always going to the screen, but 
a big one that really started with the last presidential election. I was just reading the news way too much. And I was like, I do not want to start my day looking at the New York Times app, which is pretty much how I was starting my day. So I needed to replace it with something else that I love doing. And that's a really important thing is if, if you want to change a habit, you need to replace it with something very joyous. So I got this five minute journal. It's got a really nice cover and I drink my coffee and I don't look at my phone, even though my phone has woken me up because it's my alarm clock, but it's on airplane mode. And I'm just writing about what I'm grateful for, what I hope for the day. It just takes me like five minutes, 10 minutes. And it is such a better way to start the day. And then I end the day going back to that same journal. Anyway, so I, I mentioned all these little things that are really powerful to bring into your other six days too. If you just feel like, you know, I don't like being on the screen all the time. I mean, my daughter who's 11, my other daughter said, um, Luma, no one at the end of their life is going to be like, oh, I wish I scrolled more. You know, I just think at the end of the day, it's designed to just suck you in. And like last night, I could not get off Twitter. I mean, I am really bracing for election results, but there was a point I just tweeted. I'm like, help. I've been trying to go to bed for the last hour. I really felt like I needed to be rescued. And I do go into the book like, you know, obviously I'm from the tech industry. There's a lot of designs that were created by tech companies that are just designed to manipulate us and addict us. And that needs to change. There needs to be legislation that puts brakes on that business model. But we also need to legislate ourselves to say, I can also take a stand and say, it doesn't feel good to be on 24-7 and maybe I'll live 24-6. And again, that's like, I think it's such a simple, simple idea that's free and ancient and great wisdom that survived 3,000 years. Any idea that survived that long, I'm like, that's a good way to live. Like, if you look at the Ten Commandments, like as, okay, forget it being religious. It's obviously a lot of religions follow it, but just look at it as like the list of the ways to live a good life. It's number four. It's the fourth commandment is a day of, take a full day of rest. It's above do not commit murder. And I often think if you take a day of rest, you won't commit murder. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's got pretty high billing there. Top five. It's, that's the big one. Yeah. It's something that's been handed down and it's obviously worked or it wouldn't be there. I agree with you on that. One of the things I really enjoyed about the book is the hundreds of excuses you come up with to not do it. You've heard them all and you kind of knock them out. I mean, kind of go one by one. You overcome each of them. I always knew I'd write a book. I didn't think this would be my first book, but it is exciting to, I and mean, that's what I love about getting older is just kind of mastering something. Like you do something long enough, you know how to do it really well and you know how to make it happen. And I have been faced with so many funny situations. They haven't been difficult to overcome at all. So I kind of enjoy when people ask me, oh, I've done, okay, that's come up and this is what I did and it was fine. And I think that if you have the mindset of like, oh, I can't do this, you're not gonna be able to do anything. If you have the mindset like, this is gonna be fun, I'm gonna get my mind back. <laughs> I'm going to get my sense of connection back with the people in my house. Like, I really feel like it's the day I'm the best mom and the best wife. And the, like, I just feel like they never say, hey, you want to play with the pot? You want to? And I, I never say no, because there's nothing keeping me from that moment. And I remember the other day, my daughter was like, can I put makeup on you, mom? I was like, on text. I'm like, sure. Like, normally, I'm like, oh, wait, let me just pay the bill and then feed the dog. And, you know, there's like 7 million things. But it's the day where it's the yes day the day of yes. It's also a day of nature. You talk about that in the book and the importance of getting back into nature. There's a good 
case to be made that technology is preventing us from being out in nature as much as we used to. And so we have to counter that. And you talk about on your day of being unplugged, you find you're able to get in nature more. And that's also giving you a lot of satisfaction. Yeah, I just find that it's the day we do the walk or the bike ride or go kayaking. That's the day it happens. And so I always, you know, and sometimes there's trying to convince the kids, but it happens when everyone's happy it happens. And there's so much research that just being amongst redwood trees gives you a sense of perspective and awe and, you know, forest bathing. And there's so much research. And we're just, you know, especially with the pandemic, people are behind the screens. I mean, the, the couple of good things I've seen from the pandemic is my younger daughter, she can't wait to leave the house when school's done on the screen. She's like, okay, I'm going to go do homework outside with a friend. Like, but she's, I think it's really made her appreciate being off the screen more. But I know a lot of kids, I was talking to a friend, her son just hasn't left the house. She's like, I can't wait for them to go back to school just so he'll be outside. So I know it's very particular to each child. And I actually do talk about that in the book. Like each child's going to be different on what you might need to say to have them on board for this and their different age. But I think being in nature, nothing bad, only good comes from spending time outside. And we just got a a puppy during the pandemic is just a total joy. And the best part is she's our, as my mom says, she's our personal trainer. She takes us out on walks all the time. <laughs> so I just think I'm so much happier on a walk with her. I mean, they say like every couple hours you should get up and move your body and it feels so good to do. Yeah, we have a dog as well. And it's really been a joy. What it does is it just gets you out walking. I mean, dogs are all about the importance of play, love, walks like such joy. I feel like they show you how to live a good life all the time. And she's just brought so much joy to my house. I mean, anyone on the fence or thinking about it, just get a dog and unplug one day a week and so many things will be better. So another objection that comes up, I actually, this is pretty high on my list. I'm, I'm thinking about taking the plunge here after reading your book. So being productive, you know, work has just encroached its way, just like through the tentacles of technology, it's weaved its way into the weekend and into parts of our lives where 10, 15, 20 years ago, it wasn't as present. And so there's this idea that, well, I've, I've got a lot of work to do or I won't be as productive, but you make a great case that taking the day off is going to make us more productive. Again, you know, like, like if you think about technology is that if you think about all the ads for like the new iPhone or your new computer, it's going to make you faster and more efficient. If you think about, there's so much research, which I go into the book, that taking a true day of rest will make you so much more productive, efficient, creative. By taking this one day, you are going to be able to do better work. I mean, if I look at my films I made before my textual bot and after, they're just so much more thoughtful because I have a second to think. And before I'm doing, creating, blah, 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 blah. there's like no reflection and always on my texture bots, I get up before everyone else and I write all these things that I'm wrestling with or that I'm happy about or that I, I just have more time to kind of unpack my brain. And I mean, my husband will say this. And I think as a guy, because <laughs> I think I know I'm make a gender sweeping generalization, but he's just like, feels so productive on Sunday. He is roaring to go. And he's the one who first introduced me to the concept of Shabbat. He grew up doing Shabbat dinners. Most Jews in America, cultural Jews, did a Shabbat dinner occasionally. I actually didn't. 
but Ken did, but he didn't do a full day of rest until he was a graduate student in Israel in robotics. And the whole country shuts down on Shabbat because the Orthodox Jews really control the government on that part. And it's mostly a secular country. It's a fascinating thing. He said, the buses don't run. You have to just like stay still or take a walk. And he said at first he resisted it. And then he was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And he felt so productive. And obviously Israel's a very productive country. And they only take a one day weekend and it's a full day of rest. So like, that's really interesting to think about because they're hyper productive and they don't take two day weekends and they do this one full, full day of rest. Like, I think we think rest is like running around to sports activities and this and that and responding to text. It's not rest. If you have any obligation, that's not rest. Be still and be with who you are is in your room. It's a whole different thing. So maybe one day of full rest is much more than two days of distracted rest. Yes. Yes. That's how I should have ended that. Yes. That is what I think is that we just haven't had a full day of rest in so long that we have all these quasi, we bring our laptops on vacation. We have our phone, we're checking it on a walk where it's like, everything's this in between liminal space where we're never one or the other. And when you start to create that boundary of like work, 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 rest, work, 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 rest. It just feels, it gives you this like chance to catch your breath. When I was reading that section, it reminded me of the idea of speed and velocity, you know, speed being this, that you're recovering a certain amount of distance over a certain amount of time, but in that scalar quantity, but velocity is a vector quantity. So it has direction, right? Velocity is both speed and direction. And I think that the day of rest has the opportunity to do is recalibrate your direction and say, okay, I'm about ready to go 100 miles an hour. Where am I going to go? What direction am I going? What am I trying to achieve? And you you talk about this through another concept, which I really liked in the book, was you call it thinking backwards. Where do I want to go? And then you start sort of figure that out how to get there. And it, it felt like on your tech Shabbat, you were sort of reflecting, thinking, and then you'd hit the ground running. I loved how you call it about velocity. I love that. I'm going to think more about that. Yes. And you're right. Thinking backwards. It's my one big day, Saturday, that I really get to think backwards and forwards and sideways and just think without being interrupted by what the world wants me to think or what my friends are texting me or you just don't realize how many interruptions you get in the day. I mean, one of the other things I talk about in the book on those kind of the other six days is I have no notifications on my phone. And you're already going into your phone a lot to check your email, to check Twitter, to check your text. I mean, I'm sure it'd be embarrassing if you really saw how many times you checked it. Why do you need something to also alert you? But it's such a different way to experience your phone as if you go into it instead of it interrupting you. And that's just like a little practice that will make a huge difference during your day because you're already going in so much. But yeah, I feel like my Saturdays are my days that I shake out my head and I lay it all down on the paper and my thoughts and I go, where do I want to go? Did I do that wrong? Is that going okay? I'm so grateful that thing I worried about didn't happen. And what can that teach me? It's like, I have all the big thoughts on Saturday. They don't happen during the week. Even with my husband, if there's something we want to talk about, well, let's save that for Saturday or something I want to read. I put aside Like a lot of times things float through Twitter or somebody emails me and I'm like, whoa, that looks interesting. And I absolutely don't have time to read it right now. I print it out and I make a pile and I have a pile of books that I only read on Saturday. I just read so much more deeply and thoughtfully 
on Saturday. And it's just a whole different way to think and be. It's a complete different mode of, of being that I love. I mean, some people say, why don't you do it more days? Why isn't it like 24, like four? But one day seems to just be enough. A perfect amount to reset me every week and my family. So I think that's the deep wisdom is that if you get a true day off each week, it really sustains you. It's, it's a strategy to live. And especially in a hard time, like right now with the pandemic. I'm glad you brought up reading because that's something I think I would try to take advantage of that time to do some reading at least. I was wondering if you use the Kindle at all. Our kids read on the Kindle. I actually read on paper. I really enjoy reading on paper, but they both read on the Kindle. Not always, but sometimes if there's a book that they're really into, we allow that. And I do say allow it because you do have to kind of make your own rules, like know what works best with your family. We also don't, you know, there's no TV, there's no screen, but the kids will read on the Kindle if they want to. And I think the reason that we feel like that's okay is you're not, a Kindle doesn't allow like all these notifications and the outside world getting in, you're just reading. And sometimes, you know, we, for a while there, we were just using a record player for music because it was kind of fun and novel to teach the kids and go to the record store. But now sometimes we listen to Alexa too. Like it's music, it's not taking us down a rabbit hole. So I think everyone's gonna make their own, but I am excited for you to try it. And the Kindle is just fine you think about when does the outside world get in and how can you create there's this jewish philosopher abraham heschel that calls it a palace in time that make your day like a palace in time for reading for thinking for being for walking and there's just such great ancient wisdom in that idea i love that concept a palace in time yeah you build it one of the delights in the book really is getting to know your father a little bit better because i think you do a good job of just bringing him to life and he sounds like a real character. Yeah. And at the very beginning of this podcast, you talked about one of the impetuses for starting this practice was the death of your father and, of course, the birth of one of your daughters. I think it was your youngest daughter, right? Yeah. And there was a lot of wisdom that your father was kind of passing down. It's okay. I wanted to quote something that he said, and maybe you could just reflect on it. Towards the end, you were asking him about the purpose of life and just you know, having one of those really heart-to-heart discussions. And he said, appreciate beauty, plant gardens, enjoy sunsets, help people less fortunate than you, think big, nothing is more important than family, and be present. And I just thought that was very beautiful. And it felt like, to me, it sort of summed up what you were trying to share with the rest of us in writing the book, is that there's a way to tap into that. Of course, that's timeless wisdom. It's great. But when in this world of constant scrolling and distraction, are we going to do some of those things? And what I heard you saying was there's an opportunity there. So you want to reflect on that because I thought that was so beautiful. I think that is what he told me right before he died, what he thought living the good life was. That was my question to him. What was the meaning of life? And that was his answer. And then after doing this practice for so long, I realized that all those things happen on that day. So that becomes your way to ensure you're living a good life because you make space for it. And anything important you have to make space for. I mean, if you really want to do something, you have to create space. And I feel like the screens can take up all the space right now. So you have to stand up and say, you know what? I don't want the screens to take up every bit of space in my mind and in my family's mind and in my home. I want to create space where our home is sacred for one day and it's this different day and we make it amazing. 
Well, that's a, a wonderful thought to end our discussion on. I really enjoyed our conversation, Tiffany. How can people find out more about you and your writing and your films and everything you're doing? Well, first of all, I love this conversation too. And it was so nice to do in the middle of this very stressful period with the election. So thank you for reminding me what's important. People can go the simplest way is tiffanyschlain.com and it's S-H-L-A-I-N.com. No C in my last name. And there's all the information about my films, my book, how to find me on social. I do a newsletter every couple of weeks and with a lot of these ideas and gatherings and podcasts to recommend, which I'll recommend yours. I feel like I'm always evolving these thoughts in films and tweets and all of these things. It's an ongoing conversation I think we all need to have about when to be online and when to be off. Well, Tiffany, thank you for being on The Good Life. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to The Good Life Podcast. If you liked the show, please subscribe, provide a review in Apple or Spotify, and visit our website at seanpmurray.net. Until next time, have a wonderful week.